Hello and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by freelance film journalist and writer Matt Glasby. Hello, Matt. Hello. Thank you for joining us on our spooktacular Halloween episode. Happy Halloween, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad you're here because I'm a little bit scared. Yeah, well, you will be. What can I say? <laughs> oh my God, that's the most intimidating <laughs> thing anyone's ever said before an interview. Of course, you're here because you've just written a book, The Book of Horror, The Anatomy of Fear in Film, which is an incredible title yes i i pitched the book as something else and the publishers came up with that title but i love the title and i wouldn't i wouldn't have had the confidence to give it so sounds so definitive but um the book of horror like you know like you don't need any others uh, yeah so i love it but i can't take any credit for that at all. you're right it's very confident yeah. the book of horror the book, just one <laughs> just the one you need yeah <laughs> The official blurb is that this is an illustrated guide uh, to some of the scariest horror movies ever made. But could you could you tell us a little bit about the book? What's inside? What's inside? That's actually a pretty good description. I set out to uh, collate the scariest films ever made throughout the history of horror. And then once I'd collated them, the idea was to uh, try and find a key of all the different ways that horror films scare us so we could compare something like The Exorcist with, you know, something like... Uh, let's say in chapter two or what have you so there's a kind of way of, of like a graphic equalizer of different ways of scaring us that all different horror films do so there's a way of a uh, different way of looking at the genre really. where did this idea come from i'm a huge horror fan and i have got and read several times all of the horror books out there i'm one of those like with weird kids that would just read a book 10 times and i have never read a book detailing the scariest movies ever made it's always about the significance of the film, its importance, its sort of, you know, things that change genres and, you know, that when we look back at the history of horror are important. And actually, what I try to do is get rid of all of that and just talk about one metric, is it scary and why? So you mentioned you're, you're a big horror fan yourself. I like watching horror films to a point, but I actually really do not like being scared. And with, you know, with a film that we'll talk about a bit later on, I was like, oh, I hope it's not a scary horror film. <laughs> um, and I find myself in the cinema sort of trying to distract myself if I'm getting a bit scared. I'll look at the fire exit or uh, you know, see what the audience around me are doing or something just to look away from the screen. Do you, do you enjoy being scared by, by horror movies? Yes, I think there's a time and a place. I think if you get into being scared, it becomes sort of addictive, like uh, people that like hotter and hotter chili sauces or something like that but you just need the next hit but also there's if i'm in the house by myself if my wife's away and i'm thinking i want to watch something scary tonight even <laughs> i don't know if i should make this even as a hardened horror fan and hard journalist and now a horror author you'd be watching something and you're like actually this is a bit too scary like you want to know there's someone else in the house when you're watching that you know specifically if it's kind of people on their own in the house getting attacked or whatever and so yeah sometimes things can be too scary and some of the films in the book, even though I was researching this for a horror book, I watched and I had to turn off because they were too scary. And then I watched the rest of them like in daylight or, you know, the next day when I was feeling a bit better. So, I mean, I think that's proof of concept, isn't it? That means these films are scary. What was the first film you had in mind when you were writing this? You're like, this one is absolutely going in the book. That's a really good question. I think there's some things that you have to include. Uh, I think you couldn't write this book without The Shining or The Exorcist or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But what I was, my first film, that's a really good. 
obviously I sort of worked chronologically from the past to now. And the first thing that I wrote for it was um, The Innocence, which I think is 1961, which is a really spooky a ghost story based on the Henry James novella. And so that was probably the first thing that I concentrated, that I definitely knew was going to be in there when I sort of put my mind to it. But, you know, there's some things that, that, that have to be on this tick list, definitely, that you could not include. Uh, and just as there were some things that I had never heard of, and after a few months was loved so much, I made quite a big part of the book. I think it's good that it's, you know, kind of grew along the way like that. Yeah. I guess there's a, you know, only a certain amount of pages that you can have for something like this. Was there anything that was close to getting in, but couldn't quite make it? There's, there's 34 main films, and each of those films has three further viewing films, like films that are related topics. So on that basis, that's, you know, about 150 films. So I did manage to get most of things in. Lots of things almost got there and then were disqualified for various reasons. The main reason being they need to be readily available. You know, so I sent YouTube links or, you know, what have you. And I watched, I thought, actually, this is pretty good. And it turns out you can't get it anywhere. But I can't write a book and say, please, everyone watch this, uh, you know, this dodgy YouTube link because it's just not right. It's not legal and it's just not right. Some things like that fell by the wayside. But I'm, I'm pretty happy with my final choices. This is a printed book. It's a really beautiful printed product. Um, lovely artwork on the cover and actually lovely artwork throughout. So I, I, I guess a key thing is that this is an illustrated book and the illustrations are done by Barney Boduano. Barney Baduano, yes. Uh, he's a super talented illustrator. He's a friend of a friend. And um, I asked him to help me pitch the book. And then he did. And it all went so beautifully that he stayed on and did illustrations. 34 beautiful main illustrations for the main films with little sort of detailing. Um, and I think the idea was, if you're just about presenting information, you can get everything online. So a book needs to be beautiful. It needs to be kind of experiential. There needs to be something that people can't just get for free online and I think his drawings are so beautiful they're sort of black and white uh, pen and ink drawings they're so beautiful and evocative that they add a bit of soul to the writing which can get quite technical and I think they add a kind of melancholy the uh they're scary they're actually scary to flick through like I think a child would be scared of these drawings so actually they add like a, a tangible element of fear to the writing um so yeah he did a great job and it yeah thing together is it's really beautiful to look at i'm really proud of it you say a child would be scared i mean i was pretty spooked <laughs> looking at them <laughs> my best friend insists that she, she keeps on trying to read it she's lovely but she's so scared that she keeps, keeps on having to stop and so i'm just like just just this isn't the book for you i'll write others just don't it's all scary it's all scary what can i say <laughs> i mean it's, it's, it's not the book you know like it's on the title yeah. <laughs> For this podcast, Matt, I, I gave you some homework. I, I felt kind of bad, actually, because you've already picked so many films for your book. Um, I asked you to pick one more film, but this time I asked you to pick a film which is under 90 minutes long. What, what went through your mind uh, when, when you know, a, approaching something like this? Uh, my first thought is, I love you. <laughs> I'm a film critic, and all film critics... Um, I think that I know love short films because effectively you effectively get paid by the hour so <laughs> and also away from the mercenary side of it film is about compression now there's great big long brilliant cubic epics and David Lean but for the most part you are giving people the most information possible in the shortest amount of time so it makes sense to make short movies and you need a reason to go over 90 minutes so horror in particular, does this stuff really, really well because you don't need much setup. There's not a lot of time for nuance. It's kind of a bang, bang, bang and out thing. So yeah, I love this. Most of my favourite films, unless it's something like Magnolia, which obviously has a reason to be sprawling, 
are really punchy. So yeah, anything under 80 minutes, I'm I'm interested. What a dream guest. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying all the right things. There's a time and a place for a, a four hour plus movie or even, you know, a two hour plus movie. But um, there's something quite sweet about something under 90 minutes. Yeah, it's like these are the hit singles, aren't they? You know, we've got the long album tracks, but we're looking for the singles. And that's what this is, the, you know, the short ones. So what did you end up picking, Matt? I picked uh, Trick or Treat, which is a 2007 uh, horror comedy by Michael Doherty. By my reckoning, whatever it tells you online, the time the credits came up was 78 minutes, 55 seconds on my DVD. It packs in so much. It's like a horror pulp fiction. The doorbell rings. The cry goes out. Trick or treat. But wait, what's actually going on during this ghostly All Hallows Eve? Something eerie and unexpected. Something splattered and spooky. Something that brings ghouls, vampires and werewolves into the night. Answer the door, a shocking surprise awaits! From writer-director Michael Doherty, co-scriptor of X-Men 2 and Superman Returns, comes a multi-tail bag of wicked yarns. Four cleverly interlocked stories built on Shocktober dominations like always check the candy and don't extinguish the jack-o'-lantern before midnight. So, answer the door and experience horror made for today's Fright Fan. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. It's a big one. It's a very big synopsis. Yeah, it's like they're trying to sell a film that's terrible. But in fact, the film is brilliant and they don't need to do that much, that much sort of puffing it up. This is a uh, multiple stories, interlocking stories, and, and you just beautifully described it as a, uh, you know, a bit like a, a creepy pop fiction. Horror often sees these you know what is called an anthology film i guess the key thing is the character of sam a little creepy fella with a burlap sack on his head who pops up in each of the stories alongside you know a really great cast including brian cox anna paquin and, and, and dylan baker do you remember when you first saw this film matt i don't i'm afraid i've, I've been thinking trying to think about the answer to this i think what happened was uh, it was the late noughties this came out in 2007 and i had some time on my hands which feels like the last time i did and I was just spent loads of time trying to clean up on DVD, this pre-streaming, uh, everything I'd missed. So I went through the video nasties, went through loads of Italian horror, I fell in love with Argento. And this would have been out about that time. I would have had my ear to the ground a little bit. And I think uh, that would have been when I saw it and bought it. And since then, it's been one of those films with a kind of, oh, you like horror? Oh, uh, so yeah, I guess you're a bit hungover, but you don't want anything too heavy. Why don't you try this? I remember at the end of the long weekend with two friends, uh, we needed like a short blast of horror. And so we did this followed by Wreck, which takes less than three hours. And it's just, that is an adrenaline surge of two great modern horror movies. Uh, Wreck was going to be, was my other potential choice for this podcast. So um, I had to pick this one since it's Halloween. It's a great Halloween pick. And actually, again, as we mentioned before, Wreck, I, I, it's too, too scary. I would not have enjoyed rewatching that film. <laughs> Whereas this was my first watch and, and I really didn't get a sense of this coming out at all in 2007. In 2007, I was doing a film degree at university and I was I thought I was watching everything uh, that was coming out at a local, local multiplex in town. But I this one definitely passed me by and it was such a nice discovery for, for the show. So thank you uh, for picking it. My pleasure. So you enjoyed it? Yeah, I did. I, I say I, I'm not a... 
I'm not a, I'm not a big horror guy because I get scared and I was really worried this was going to be I, I, I love horror films for so many reasons um, they can be so expressive and they can be so much fun and I'm glad this was more of a fun horror film than a like a you know a, a scary horror film there there were some great moments in it which were scary but um but yeah I had a really fun time watching it and and above all because it is a series of short stories that interconnect they interconnect so well I, I really liked the sort of handing over of one narrative to another set of characters but still acknowledging you know and, and there's also a couple of little nods to other stories and it kind of only makes sense at the end um i thought it was a really it's a really tight piece in that respect yeah i think lots of anthology stories you know you get four different directors or something there's always like a weaker piece someone's doing something jokey someone's doing something really serious and you know often they don't entirely gel some good bits and some bad bits but because this is all written and directed by michael doherty uh it's essentially like four five whatever you want to call it horror vignettes taking place in the same place on the same night that all interweave really cleverly and i think individually on their own without those interconnections it wouldn't be that they're weak they're really well done but actually having so characters wander into other stories and the timings are slightly different so a character wanders into one story and you oh, okay and then later they become the star of say the final story um because the time scale it does work but we're, we're with different characters at different points on the evening it's really really clever and actually this would probably maybe fourth viewing for this podcast and i'm still noticing details that i never noticed before which i think is a sign of a really well written script I don't really know very much about um, writer-director Michael Doherty, apart from, you know, the other credits that came up in, in the synopses. Uh, who, where was he when he was making this film? Is, you know, what, what's his kind of career prior to this and what's he gone on to do since? Well, so I don't know that much either. I know that he made this as he made a short called Season's Greetings uh, in 1996, which is animated, which features the same character, Sam, for Sam Hain, the old word for Halloween, who's a sort of little sad boy in a sackcloth mask who traipses around between all the stories. And so he made the animated short back then. Uh, that must have been a sort of proof of concept, I guess, for the film. Um, in between that time, uh, as you mentioned, he was a writer who wrote X-Men 2, co-wrote that. He wrote or co-wrote Urban Legends 2, Bloody Mary, which I have seen. Uh, and he co-wrote Superman Returns. All these, most of these were produced by Brian Singer, who produced uh, trick or treat and then after that he's gone on to make Godzilla King of the Monsters the Godzilla sequel so he's obviously now in the sort of higher up Hollywood studio stable back then he was essentially a jobbing writer so from terms of point of view of directing like a nobody I guess is how the punters would, would, would think of him so this coming up as a debut feature it is insanely confident you know, it's not just like, oh, the action's well-directed or he's really good with the actors or something, which you often find when people are still, you know, learning the trade. Everything is really sharp. And I, I guess the star of the show for me, I think, is the writing because I think it is so beautifully connected. And, you know, in, in a very tight runtime, they introduce a lot of like mythology and detail off screen which is relevant to the characters but you know the, the action the, the, the horror is really well directed the the casting is spot on there's a lot of younger actors in this and i do find sometimes that can be a kind of a make or breaker director um but he gets amazing performances from the younger cast and and they're actually some of my favorite bits of the story i guess you know being a child is quite scary isn't it but yeah he does does such a good job i think the whole thing is it's a very tight film is how i describe it it's sharp it's tight it's to the point it leaves you wanting more yeah i mean and also in this 78 minutes 78.55 minutes there's lots of really funny like hitchcockian black humor there's 
some out and out sort of scary, you know, being chased by a killer scenes, uh, being chased by zombie kids scenes. There's a kind of uh, sort of creep show, slightly sort of comic horror aspect. Um, there's lots of really funny details. And we've got four or five main stories. We've got a couple in the first scene who are arguing about the meaning of Halloween. We've got Dylan Baker as an evil teacher who uh, may or may not have killed a trick-or-treater. We've got um, Anna Paquin and her friends as a bunch of new girls in town on the prowl. We've got a bunch of school kids who I think the ones you're talking about who are playing a kind of Carrie-style prank. And we've got Brian Cox as a kind of curmudgeonly old geezer who's beset by trick-or-treaters. And through all of these, little Sam, Sam Haynes, traipses around with his sad sack behind him. And they all pop up in each other's stories, really, really witty ways. And um, yeah, for one director, like a debutant director, to fit all of this in, there's such a kind of tone, the special effects sequences, this really funny bit of really, really dark bits, is an amazing achievement. That first story like really sets the tone um and it i kind of like it when a horror film sort of tells you what it's going to do in the first five minutes and the the couple arguing and and the you know the, the, the grisly end um the, you know that, that they meet there is um it's, it's so well done and i think it is actually about five minutes long as well it's really efficient right off the bat yes um yeah she, they're, they're arguing outside their house about halloween and um Eventually, they have an argument that she comes to a sticky sort of Halloween style ending. And, um, and then it goes into kind of uh, 50s horror comics credits. And I think you're right, that tells you exactly what to expect. Not to, don't take it too seriously. There's going to be like lots of tales of revenge. It's kind of like, remember Creep Show, the Stephen King, George Romero film from the 80s? This is like, I think this is like a, like a naughty's version of that. It's really worth thinking of that way, except it's probably better directed and better written, which is a pretty big compliment considering you're comparing to Stephen King and George Romero. But actually, it's probably tighter and slicker. Um, so it's like that, yeah, this kind of a, it's ghoulish. It's sort of like a, I was thinking of it as a kind of gateway horror. Like you could show this to kind of an 11-year-old and they'd be spooked out, but they probably wouldn't be freaked out. But, you know, it's, it's that got that right level of kind of pleasingly scary. For a younger sort of audience member, every time I see an anthology film, it just reminds me of a Simpsons Halloween special. <laughs> they're, they're some of the best kind of anthology Halloween things that you know that that, that are out there. Um, and and yeah, I, I sort of had it had that vibe. The first the first main scene with Dylan Baker trying to effectively kind of bury a body of a trick or treater is really Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. It's like he's Ned Flanders burying a body or something. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really, really well handled. It's really short, really sharp. And um, that bit, that one is really blackly funny because he's Dylan Baker. He's sort of ordinary, but he's just a bit off. So you can believe him as the guy next door, but you can also believe him as the guy next door that has killed a kid. So, <laughs> yeah, I love that sequence, yeah. I think he's, that's perfect casting, and especially for his story. Yeah, it's really strange because, so he's, he's killed a young trick-or-treater and he's trying to bury him in the garden while his neighbour, Brian Cox, sort of interferes and the dog interferes and you know, there's all these sort of comedy interruptions. And you find yourself thinking, I do hope this guy gets away with burying this body. And then you have to backtrack and like, hang on, this guy's just killed like a teenage kid. He, he shouldn't be getting away with this. But there's something really well done about that where you feel his panic that he's going to get caught at the same time as thinking, hang on, what, why, am I, why am I, I can't be rooting for this guy to get away with this murder. Who the hell is that? Uh, uh, I got an NRA membership in my pocket and a shotgun over the fireplace. It's, uh, so get out of here, my boy! Mr. Cree, <laughs> uh, Stephen, Stephen Wilkins. Hey, what in God's name are you doing down there, Wilkins? Huh? Hiding bodies? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Nothing. It's the uh, septic tank is acting up. Is that what that smell is? 
I like that it's set in you know set on a in a in a residential area in a you know, suburban area, and I like that people know each other. Like we don't know the characters' relationships at all, but the kids do. You know, they'll say like, "Oh, hello, principal," so and so, and "Oh, Mrs." You know, what's her name? Yeah, that makes it even more creepy. These are trusted people, trusted members of society. Yeah, I mean, it builds up to very cleverly to almost show a picture of an entire town because one of the stories involves the sins of the past that the townsfolk committed. So actually it gives you a picture of like the last 30 years of this very small, very ordinary town. Again, in 70 minutes, you know, that is incredibly deft storytelling. And also you, you know, talk about sort of nods to past horror films. That's such a Stephen King type thing to do, isn't it? Well, just one of the things about the movie is there's lots of kind of Easter eggs for fans. And quite a few of them are pointing to Stephen King uh, and John Carpenter. I don't know how many of these you spotted, but there's, there's a Plymouth Fury car like Christine in one of the scenes of Stephen King. And what happens to one of the little girls, Rhonda, is really similar to Carrie. It's real Carrie vibes with that. And then yeah, obviously because of Halloween, there's loads of Carpenter references. There's a scene where a guy in a white mask is standing across the road staring at, uh, yeah, there is, and, and he's just staring like Michael Myers, and you think it's a baddie, and then it's just a, he takes off the mask, it's just a teenage kid getting into the car. And then later on, uh, Brian Cox's character quotes a line from The Thing, which I hadn't spotted for several times, but yeah, a little pumpkin hand is shot off and skitters across the room, and he says, you've got to be effing kidding me. Uh, like, as in The Thing, yeah, I didn't realise that. And also Anna Paquin's character is called Laurie, after Laurie Strode. So I think there's more as well. Again, I'm sure your listeners will spot more, but um, there's clever things like that which you don't notice the first few times. That's great. I mean, again, it's you know the, the film that rewards repeat viewings with like you know tangible things like that. You know, I spotted a new reference. Yes. Yeah, and also it's not like it's not just doing that winking. It's doing that while this whirlwind of a story pushes forward. So it doesn't matter if you don't get those references. Not at all. That's the thing. It's not. You know, you don't get any anything less out of it if you don't notice them. But it's just they're just there. It's like a it's a nice nugget for those who do and i think that's a really nice balance for it it's not bogged down in the lore or the history or like oh you don't really understand it because you haven't seen those films it's perfectly accessible and like you say you know just a good really good horror 101 it's actually uh, you know like um edgar wright simon Pegg films the cornetto trilogy do that thing where they work straightforward you know like i'm watching a zombie comedy and it's brilliant and then actually realize going back that there's loads of little sort of jokes that you would never have got the first time i think this film's like that it's so tightly scripted that, that you can go back and realize that there's loads of other things happening as well as the really entertaining main thing that's happening do you have a favorite story you know we mentioned there's multiple stories that feed into this this one you know trick-or-treat experience well it's like picking it's like picking your favorite child uh, <laughs> i'm gonna say there's the stuff to recommend all of them. I love the Dylan Baker stuff. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliantly awkward. It's like a sort of weird sitcom gone to hell with Brian Cox as the angry neighbour and Dylan Baker as the sort of nervous Nelly. But actually, he's killed a trick-or-treater and he's trying to bury him in the garden and the trick-or-treater's alive and he's stamping on him. I just love how dark that gets. And whenever you think you know where that story's going, you don't. But then actually, the second strand, which is Anna Paquin and her uh, female friends sort of on the prowl, through the town is really cleverly handled because you think they're going to be the victims. There's a, there's a killer on the loose and this, all this market, and you think they're going to be the victims because they're attractive, they're female. And it spends so much time. They go after Sheep's Meadow, which is little red riding hood, and there's all this kind of big bad wolf stuff. And then it has a really great twist with really great special effects that I didn't see coming the first time. I think I didn't see it coming the second time because I was, <laughs> even though I knew what was going to happen, I was so 
drawn in. I was like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, so it was that thing that has the power to confuse you twice. That Anna Paquin story, especially, it's, um, it's so good at playing with your expectations. Sort of sat up in my chair when, when the, the story ended and the sort of final reveal. I loved that. That was that felt like a, a really great masterstroke there and, and kind of a you know, like a huge set piece for the film. Like, yeah. just like, this is production value, you know? <laughs> How much can we say without... Can we spoiler this? Or what? Uh, what? I mean, you know, we're, we're talking thoroughly about the film. Guys, if you haven't seen Trick or Treat yet, pause the pod. This is your note to pause it. Come back in after you've seen it. Let's go into detail. So well, it, so it is revealed all the way through, we think that Anna Paquin and her friends are going to be sort of uh, lambs to the slaughter victims. And it's revealed that they are, in fact, werewolves sexy lady werewolves on the prowl for male victims. And that that's revealed in a sort of werewolf, or surprise werewolf orgy with the Marilyn Manson's Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This soundtrack. And it's done so well. Werewolves don't tend to be very convincing on cinema and screen, do they? They do tend to be, there's a, there's a problem in that human to dog transition. And this is handled for the budget really, really well. And it's kind of, it's a really good twist. It's actually just a really cool together scene. And, um, it just seems to come out of nowhere then actually realise all the way through there's just tons and tons of werewolf jokes um, and yeah it's a really nice reversal yeah I mean it starts out in a changing room and I think there's a there's a sort of a, a wolf kind of huff and a puff and a blow the yeah. door down sort <laughs> yeah. of thing but I mean the fact that she's wearing the little red riding hood costume throughout and then is a werewolf that was that was such a nice idea like again it's just like layers of detail like that in the film it's clearly something that's made with so much love of the genre yeah and just the form of like filmmaking form as well there's a really clever bit early on the the newsreader is sort of standing at the halloween parade and says like you know throughout the evening we're going to see werewolves we're going to see zombies we're going to see demons you don't think anything of it but that is in fact the order of reveals of the monsters that you see throughout the film so there's this one of these tiny little details like like a cornetto trilogy joke telling you what's going to happen but obviously you've got no idea that this is really going to happen you're late sorry it took longer than i thought what did he do to you i listened to their advice and played hard to get he bit me well at least you made it drink sure it pays homage to so many classic monsters and, and, and horror icons, but Sam is a kind of a new creation for this. You know, obviously you've watched a lot of scary films through the book. Uh, how does he rank up uh, against some of, the, some of the other sort of things you've covered? Well, he's more of a sort of plaintive figure, isn't he? He's like the disappointed figure of Halloween every time someone does something that's against the spirit of Halloween. And I don't know if the Brits are... I'm, I wasn't as conversant with any of these rules. Like, you're not allowed to blow out a jack-o'-lantern before midnight. No one's ever told me that, so maybe I'm in trouble. But So he's almost like a little sad, sad character kind of going around being disappointed with people and obviously taking uh, revenge. Um, so he's, he's, he's very visually striking. He's got a kind of sack over his face. So he's sort of spooky, but he's actually more, yeah, he's more of a sort of sad character. You sort of feel for him, I guess, because he's just got this sort of disappointed, downtrodden, expression just going around being let down by all these people ruining Halloween um, but it's I mean it's unlikely that it's going to do like a Jason or a Freddy Krueger but they could definitely bring that guy back for another set of tales. As long as it's on Halloween you need a bunch of characters you know doing doing something which goes slightly against Halloween traditions and, and he's the he's the keeper of Halloween traditions. Boom there you go. Like a scary angry Santa Claus. He's kind of become the standout sort of character from this they're still making 
action figures of, of Sam, there's models of, of Sam. Michael Doty's really involved in, in producing merchandise uh, for this film still. And, and, and all of the sort of things you can buy are, are the Sam character. Um, so I kind of like that whilst we haven't got a sequel to the film yet, although there are, there are talks, uh, very long running talks about making a sequel, the film has lived on through this character. You know, you can find him in comic book shops. Well, I'd just like to say to the producers, I have included Trick or Treat in my forthcoming book, The Book of Horror, on which basis I'd love some merch if you want to send it to us. <laughs> find me online, send me some free stuff, that'd be amazing. Thanks. Get a Sam figurine uh, to match. Come on, guys. Yeah, exactly. Would you like to see a sequel if, if um, Michael Doherty gets around to making it? It looks like he's been doing some quite big Hollywood productions. He has. And he, he's so, yeah, he did, did this Godzilla sequel, which I didn't see. Um, but So he's obviously in that different different league now. And he keeps on saying that he's, he says he's been working on a sequel since 2013 and he'd love to do it after Godzilla. And, you know, we'll see. It's one of those things, isn't it? So be careful what you wish for. And look, I would love to see a sequel to this film. On the other hand, the chances of it being anywhere near this good are slim. So do I want to see a so-so sequel to this film and ruin its sort of, you know, in its own thing, its, it's little, little perfection? No. Do I want to see Michael Doherty annoyed with being action movie so his hand-tied and having complete creative control over doing a really wicked fun sequel? Yes, I do. Um, so it's one of those ones for the film card, doesn't it? I mean, this film didn't seem to... It's going to get a theatrical release and then they didn't do that. It's released on DVD instead. So it's sort of bubbled up to become a kind of strangely for a film of this budget like a sort of cult hit even though it should be obviously bigger it's got name actors and it's, it looks really beautiful like it looks expensive so who's going to back that it has to be kind of it seems like it has to be a really indie sort of crowdfunded thing um, i'd be up for that like the guy's clearly talented and also there's something in these godzilla i haven't seen his godzilla but gareth edwards one where you get the sense that there's a really talented indie director who's at sea in this huge blockbuster and so actually i think to all of those guys i want to see them go back to doing something small because those movies are always more interesting it would be amazing you know okay guys we've all done these giant godzilla films huge budgeted things let's take some of you know the, the sort of effects learnings we got from that you know maybe some of our contacts in the visual effects department and on a really stripped down budget we can produce some tight horror films uh that'd be quite a fun series and all of those people who've done the big godzilla films now have they're all interesting filmmakers you know jordan vote roberts who did um kong sky island you know get him back doing a smaller indie film again yeah definitely and yeah i completely agree it's just a question of whether that's viable for those people this is uh Doherty's uh, proper debut and it's you know it's like a little gem isn't it it's like I was going to say masterpiece but it feels like a, a big word for such a cool little movie but it is an absolute gem so maybe this is where his head should be at if you're listening Michael <laughs> this is what we want next I don't want Godzilla 3 we want trick-or-treat 2. done the pitch i'm convinced let's show this film to an audience on the big screen the thing that you know it never had on release as well so it's kind of a nice story you know full circle at the festival we'll get it in front of an audience as it should be seen what would happen is this is that all of the people that missed it on the big screen that screening would sell out in seconds there is nerd there's 10 years worth of nerds myself included <laughs> who want to see that film on the big screen i don't know how big your 90 second 90 minute film festival is but that is going to mean to be a big venue. It's going to be big enough. It's exactly big enough. Um, and actually, it's kind of up to you, really, because what, what we the unique thing about our film festival is our guest curators, uh, yourself included, are given a copy of the film and a blank check 
to screen it wherever you damn well like. So where is the optimum space, do you think, to exhibit Trick or Treat? And I hadn't thought about like a special space, but what I think you want is you want the hugest audience of like Trick or Treat lovers possible. So like the previously when Fright Fest was in the huge Leicester Square, I was at The View with like just the hugest ones, like the biggest cinema around. For the films that were good, that were Fright Fest cinema appropriate, and everyone was in the right place. It felt like you're at like a rock concert or you know, or like a football match or something. It was really exciting. So I think you need a screening of screening that that size with that many kind of uh, trick or treat lovers. And then I think you know the film would speak for itself in that case. But there's all sorts of other stuff you can do. You can have little uh, Sam Haynes wandering about. That wouldn't be that. Wouldn't be that difficult. Little ushers dressed as Sam Haynes just wandering around. The you know any kind of refreshments you want. You've got like all the candy with razor blades like they have in the film and uh, razor sharp ice lollies that'd be amazing also and i don't know if this is appropriate for audiences this to me has got quite a drinking game aspect the film like every time a character from another story pops by you could drink every time there's uh, you see sam you could drink every time there's a john carpenter or stephen king reference you could drink I think that would make for quite a raucous but exciting screening. That's a really fun idea. I like it. I think Halloween screenings should be a little bit raucous and, and should be quite a communal experience. Also, because the film isn't too long, you're not going to like you know get you 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 get drunk. You'll get you'll get you'll be buzzed, but you're not going to be like absolutely paralytic. You know, <laughs> you'll be okay. You'll survive. Exactly. And there's no toilet. There's no toilet issues. That's seventy-eight minutes. You can just hold. Wait till the end. Easy. No yeah. <laughs> uh, okay yeah i like that the, the world's biggest halloween drinking game done <laughs> i'm there the moment we can get get through this nasty pandemic i'm there you, you mentioned a few sort of snacks and treats there so we're going to go for traditional halloween candy the odd poisoned item maybe a yeah. few razor blades in there yeah you know, just to add an element of risk like yeah it. i mean it, it needs to be health and safety checks i don't want to actually hurt people you could have like you know, fake razor blades in amongst the, the candy, you know. That's true, yeah, gummy gummy razor blades. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I haven't been through all the details. I don't think this was like an actual health and safety issue. <laughs> That's true. We'll, we'll, we'll do the risk assessment offline. Um, I like it. And, you know, we, we quite like to to get some of the filmmakers or someone from the film, doesn't necessarily have to be the filmmaker, along to the screening. If you could pick one member of the cast or crew to come along and, and maybe do an interview with, who would you pick? I think... It's got to be Dylan Baker or Anna Paquin. I think they're the most iconic presences in this because she does her sort of, I'm a mousy little indie actor and then suddenly, no, actually I'm kick-ass, which she does so brilliantly. And he does his, I'm Joe Normal who lives next door. I know I'm Joe Normal who lives next door that kills kids. So maybe yeah, if we get Dylan and Anna, they're both kind of indie kings and queens, aren't they? They'd just be really good guests, I think. All right. Well, I, I think this is going to be a, a cracking screening. No one's ever done a drinking game before, so I quite like it. <laughs> a unique event at the festival. Yeah, it needs to be on last, I think. It should be on like late on at your festival, because I don't want to ruin if someone's got like primer next or something. I don't want to like ruin it with too much, too much raucous, uh, raucous drunken crowding. So yeah, let's have this on like like the midnight movie screening, and then after that, it's sort of stumble home. Closing midnight screening. Rock and roll. Lovely. Thank you very much for bringing Trick or Treat uh, to our festival, and thank you very much for talking to us. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you online, Matt? And where can they get hold of the book? They can get hold of the book through, uh, hopefully, in all good bookshops. I don't know, but I'm sure they can get hold of it <laughs> online, the usual channels, Amazon. Uh, you can get hold of me at, at Matt Glasby on Twitter, or more personally for this, at The Book of Horror on 
Twitter. And again, I'd love to hear all your scary movie recommendations. So bring on. Bonus points if they recommend anything under 90 minutes. Yes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also listen on our website, 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.